0: Well, good morning. Again, we're thankful for a good crowd. We've got a lot of visitors in our midst today, and we are thankful for the opportunity to see you and visit with you uh, for just a few moments. As we have said, the crowd continues to grow, but we're thankful for that. Seating continues to get a little more crowded, and we hope that you'll be here. Uh, it is worth noting that even the preacher got kicked off the front row, uh, but before you call me a backslider, I only went back one row, uh, but I got kicked off the front row myself. So, But that's a, a good problem to have, and we'll continue to do our best to ensure that we, or uh, can everyone that wants to be here can be here, and we will worship safely so that we can, can worship together. We just look forward to, to studying together for a few moments and hope that you are encouraged by that. You know, there's a lot of things in the Bible that we always talk about That is, the Bible's written so that we can understand, so that we can take advantage of the examples that God gives us through through His Word, and last week we talked about God's standard, and we began by saying that it's a fact that in life we use all kinds of standards, and this morning as we begin, we kind of want to make a similar statement, and that is the idea that, that most everything in life has a cycle. Uh, We understand that when we look at the world around us. We begin to teach our children about that as they are young, that there are, are cycles in life. And the Bible talks about that a little bit as well. God uses that to teach us about things. And so when we teach our children, again, from a very young age in school, we see the fact that there are lots of things in life that are cycles We teach them about the water cycle, and they they learn to memorize things about the water cycle and and the way that works so that we know the way the world works around us. We think about the life cycle and the cycle of plants, and even as we're beginning spring and we look around us and we think about leaves that have fallen off the trees and and then leaves as as they decompose in the soil and then new things sprout up in spring, it, it encourages us to know that life works in cycles. And we see that borne out in a, in a scientific way that we can learn and that we can know those kinds of things. But that's certainly not the only things in life that are cycles. There's fashion. Cycles, right, sometimes in life, I don't know, that's an older picture, but you have possibly seen someone wear something like that even today, right? Fashion kind of comes and it goes in cycles. Style even goes in cycles sometimes. I don't know if anyone has a kitchen that looks like this or maybe that they've not made their kitchen look like this in recent days, but it's interesting sometimes how we look back on old fashion or old styles and sometimes those things come back. Again, And then there's other times that we wish those things wouldn't come back, because we see things of big hair and big shoulders and shoulder pads. and We think about that, you know, sometimes we wish those things wouldn't come and they would just stay gone for a little while. But it's true, whether it's fashion or whether it's water or whatever it may be in life, that there are certainly cycles. And if you have a bulletin in front of you, I hope that you do, that as you take notes, we're going to look at what we might call the cycle of Christianity, The cycle of Christianity. Now, when we think about cycles and we talk about like the life cycle and and the cycle of plants, we talk about things dying and things decaying. Well, I I hope you'll understand and you'll see, uh, certainly as we go through the lesson, that that's not what we're talking about. We don't want Christianity to die or, or to decompose or decay. I don't think that's what the Bible paints as a picture for the cycle of Christianity. And what we're going to do, though, is take a look at the book of Matthew in just a few moments and think about some of the ways, or two of the ways, two passages in particular, in which the Bible portrays or could portray Christianity as a bit of a cycle. Before we do that, though, let's think about what the purpose is of the Bible or the purpose of Christianity. You see, as we think about what we read in God's Word, we see, even as we think about the Old Testament, that God's eternal purpose was to save man. His eternal purpose was to save man. Now, we can take the Gospel, we can take the Bible, and we can sort of sum it up in just those few words. We know there's a lot more to it, though. And when we think about God's eternal purpose, we might even say God's eternal plan. I laid it out for you in the bulletin there, and we'll touch on it for just a moment here. But it begins by the fact that God sent His Son. Right? The world is familiar with John chapter 3 and verse 16 that God sent his only begotten son. As we think about, God had a plan. God had a purpose and his purpose was to save man. How is he going to accomplish that? Well, number 1, he sends his son, sends Jesus Christ into the world. But Jesus then sent the Holy Spirit. We think about passages like John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15 is after that Jesus has washed the disciples' feet and he's began to talk to them and he's looking forward to just moments I mean just moments away just hours away we might say where he is about to begin this process and when he's talking to his disciples he tells them that if if I go and I'm going to go that I will send the comforter your Bible may say something along those lines the comforter or the Holy Spirit so if God's eternal purpose if his eternal plan was to save man how's he going to accomplish that well first of all he he sends his son His son comes into the world, and his son then says that I am going, as I leave, to send the Holy Spirit. The Comforter shall come and will give you the words that you need. The Holy Spirit then comes in Acts chapter 2, when we think about that great day in Jerusalem, the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit there with the apostles gives them the words they need, that first gospel sermon. But not only that, then those men are going to write for us. We think about passages like 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21 2 Peter 1.21, that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. God's eternal purpose is to save man. How is He going to accomplish that? He sends His Son, who says, I have to go, and I will send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes, and it guides the apostles into all truth, so that they can then take the words of the Holy Spirit. They can, by inspiration, write these things down, not only recording for us the life and times of Jesus and his death, and burial, and resurrection, but even the inspired letters of Paul to the Christians, that he would encourage them in those same letters that are still encouraging us even today. And so he sent his Son, who sent the Holy Spirit, who guided the apostles, who wrote these things down so that we, we being anyone, you, me, anyone in the world, even as Gabe prayed for us about the lost and us trying to reach the lost, that anyone... Can be complete. We'd think about 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17 that all scripture in connection with this sort of chart here, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is there for us. What does it say? So that we might be complete, thoroughly equipped or thoroughly furnished. You see, how how is God going to accomplish this purpose, this plan? Well, he goes through these steps that we just listed here which includes that we now have the complete Word of God, that we have God's Word, that we can read and understand and be complete. Even as last week, we emphasized the standard. We can know what we're supposed to do when it comes to all the questions of today's society. Homosexual marriages, gender identity, all these things that we face, the sin of the world, marriage and divorce and remarriage and and all the other things that tempt us and try us. We can know what we're to do. Because of this pattern that God has given to us, what what we should do and the way that we should follow. You see, those who come to Christ, number one, receive blessings. All right, Those who come to Christ receive blessings. We receive the blessing of His Word that we can know and we can know how we should live. But number two, in connection with that, we receive great responsibility. We receive blessings, but we also receive the responsibilities that we are to carry out. If God wants to save man... Let me ask you this way. Could he have simply just put it in our brains? I mean, could he just not have made us all robots that are going to follow after him? And the answer to that is, I guess he certainly could. He's all-powerful, so he he could have done it that way. But we love and appreciate our free will, the opportunity that we have to make a choice. So if that's what he's going to allow us to do, and we're thankful for that, then this is the plan. This is the way that the word is going to be passed down that he can accomplish. You see, the church... Christians provide for the perpetuation of Christ's body, for these things to continue on. And so that, in and of itself, describes a cycle. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. If you have your Bible, the two passages that we're going to look at are both from Matthew. The first one is in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30. They're words that you're familiar with. We sing them from time to time in various forms. Come to me, Jesus says. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Words that we're familiar with, we sing them to emphasize this important nature, the important nature of this particular passage. So when we think about the first part of the cycle of Christianity, we might say that the first part is to come and learn. Come and learn. This invitation to come, first of all, is issued by Jesus. We see that here. It's issued by Jesus to all who are weary. All who are heavy laden can come to Him. All who are bearing the guilt of sin. It's also repeated by the Spirit and the bride at the very end of God's revelation. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. The bride and the Spirit say, come. That's the invitation. And I have to ask you here, do you remember being here? Some of you may even be here right now for the first time, or, or maybe you have come and heard before, but, but you've not accepted that invitation to come to Jesus. Do you remember being here, though, if you have? If you become a Christian, do you remember being in that position? For many of us, we were raised from the time we were down here, and we were raised, we say, coming to the services of the Lord's church. We, we know that. And so that invitation was a little different because we were always there, but for some of you, you came to it later in life. Do you remember hearing those words, thinking about coming to know Jesus? But as this passage in Matthew chapter 11 reminds us, we don't just come. That's not the only part of it. You see, well, as we think about coming, one must come to know what? Well, Jesus says to come and learn and know me. You see, one must come to Jesus for he alone has the words of eternal life you recall the picture that's painted in John chapter 6? John chapter 6 verses 60 through 69. It's interesting because I usually mention it as one of the saddest pictures to me in all of Scripture. And we know for a fact, we understand that, that the chapters and verses of the Bible are not inspired, right? Man came along later and divided it up. The words are inspired, but it's interesting some of the, the patterns that we find, right? We think about Acts chapter 2, and sometimes we refer back to Joel 2 and Isaiah 2. They all point to Acts 2. That's, that's kind of interesting that it kind of turned out that way. John chapter 6 is interesting to me because it's in John 6 and verse 66 And we oftentimes associate 666 as being a a negative kind of thing. But it's in John 6 and verse 66 that we see this awful picture. The worst picture in all the world. Because Jesus is talking to those who are gathered there. And the Bible says that there are some who turned their back on Jesus. And we sit here and we say, that's not possible. No one would do that. But yes, people reject Jesus. And in John 6, 66, we see this picture. He is standing there in the flesh. This is not the words of the Bible that we're reading much later because it's easy to turn someone, turn someone down who's not next to you, but he's standing there and they turn their back on him and reject him. And so we remember there in that passage that then Jesus asked the rest of the apostles, do you want to leave too? And what does Peter say? Where are we going to go? We have nowhere else to turn to because you have the words of eternal life. You see, that's the, that's the invitation here. We must come to know Jesus. In Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, Peter in his preaching there talks about the fact that there is there's no other name under which there is salvation. Salvation is not by any other name. You can talk to, to any other God, little g God that you want to name. You can talk to any person, but salvation only comes by the name of Jesus. We think about Matthew chapter 4, excuse me, John chapter 14 and verse number 6, where Jesus says, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So for one to come, they must come and know Jesus. But let's think about the second part of this. Learn. Well, what are we to learn? If the first part of the cycle is come and learn, what must one learn? Well, let's, let's think about this for a minute. Well, number one, we might say you learn of God and his love. Again, we've already talked about John three sixteen. God so loved the world. You know, it's interesting that everyone knows that. People put it on signs. Many people can quote it, but the, the power behind that just simple idea, what is it that we need to learn when we come to know Jesus? We need to learn of God and His love. We might say, secondly, of Jesus and His sacrifice. We think about 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. We think about 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. He made him, God made Jesus to know who knew no sin, to no sin for us. What is it that we need to learn about? We learn about God and his love. We then learn about Jesus and His sacrifice, what He was willing to do. We think about sin and its consequences. We think about Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. We quote this often that it is our sin that separates us from God. What a terrible picture that is as well. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, thinking about all who have sinned, that we all sin. We need to know that. The world needs to know that. We think about 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, that not only is sin in the world, but that we will all one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ that we may receive what we have done, whether good or bad. Because many people might know that what they're doing is not right. They might even call it sinful. But part of the problem is they're not connecting the consequences with it. Because those consequences in many ways are delayed. I mean, not always. Sometimes we do sinful things and we immediately feel the pain and suffering from that. But at the same time, many times we don't feel it. We get away with it. And so we need to be reminded of sin and its consequences. When we need to come and learn, we must learn of salvation and its plan. We think about the fact that one needs to believe in Jesus. The commands that one must follow in order to be saved. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. That Jesus learned obedience, and having been perfected, he became the author of salvation to all who obey him. We talk about obeying the gospel plan of salvation. When Jesus says, come and learn, what are the things we need to learn of God? of Jesus, of sin, and of salvation and its plan. We need to learn, learn of the church. We've emphasized this a lot lately, but it is so encouraging to know. Go back to, this, go back to what we said just a few moments ago as we thought about that God sent His Son who sent the Spirit to the apostles and that and we might have the Word. How is the church going to continue? Do you remember? Do you remember from several different passages the pain and sorrow that Jesus' friends felt? We think about the road to Emmaus and and those two guys on the road to Emmaus, they were upset because they think it's over. He's dead and he is in the grave. Well, we think about the fact it wasn't over because then the church is going to be established and that is how things are going to continue. And so, yes, we need to share with people the love of Jesus and his sacrifice, but you cannot separate Jesus from his church. And people need to know as well about the church uh, that belongs to Christ. When we think about Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, that on that great day, those people who believed, who wanted to be saved from their sins, they were baptized. And what happened? The Lord added them to the church. That's how important the church is to the world and to us, that we can be a part of that. But not only that, we may think about of the rewards and the rewards of faithfulness. What is it that we need to learn? We need to learn about the rewards. You know, we're accused quite often, and it, it really drives the preachers crazy, but it probably drives you crazy too, but we're accused so often of just preaching negativity, right? What you can't do. You guys are the ones who say we can't do this, and we, we can't do that, and, and we don't, maybe we don't emphasize certain things. We don't emphasize love enough. We may not emphasize other aspects of the Bible enough. We don't talk about grace and other things, and, and maybe we need to do a little bit better job at that. And, and this is one way, because we do need to encourage and remind people of the rewards that are out there. The rewards of being faithful. The home in heaven. The ability to to shed this old world, this old body, and get to a place to think about heaven above where there is no more crying, no more sorrow, no more death. We need to think about that. When Jesus says, come and learn of me, well, that's the first part of the cycle. Do you remember being there? And I would ask you even at this point, do you know anyone here? Do you know anyone who would fit into this part of the cycle that they need to come and learn? And I would think that if anyone here says that they don't, then you're lying. Because we all do. Again, even as Gabe prayed, many of us even have family members who need to come and learn. But then we begin to expand our circle and we've got friends, associates, coworkers, people we just know from various things, community events and things. We all know someone who falls into this per- first part of the cycle of Christianity. They need to come and learn. Do you remember being there? Do you know someone there? Well, let's think about the second part for just a moment. And if you've got your Bible again, I'll ask you to turn over to Matthew 28 this time. Because it's interesting that, that the words of Matthew, recording the words of Jesus, as he's saying these things, It's recorded for us here in just two simple passages. All we have to have is the book of Matthew. We're thankful for the whole gospel and the the whole word. We're not trying to, to shun any other passages, but it's interesting. Matthew 11, Matthew 28. You know it because you probably memorized it once before, maybe when you were younger. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus, again speaking, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, "...and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age or the end of the world." Depending on the version that you may be looking at, it may read a little differently. But as Christians, we know this part. But have we truly thought about the second part of the cycle of Christianity? Because if the first part is to come and learn, we might say the second part then is to go and teach. Have you thought about this part before? It's kind of inherent in a way. We as preachers preach about it from time to time, but sometimes we don't emphasize it enough. The second part of the cycle is once we come and learn, then we are to go and teach. We're following the example of the New Testament church do you remember Acts chapter 8? The great passage of Acts chapter 8 and the many good things that happen there that actually begins on a sour note. Do you remember Acts 8 verse 1? That Saul is consenting unto his death, right? Stephen's death. They're laying their coats at, at Saul's feet. There's death involved there. Verse 1 is terrible. That there has just been a murder. There's just been a murder take place. Not only that, it goes on to say that then the church is under persecution. And they're going to be scattered about through Judea and Samaria. And it says even over in verse 3 that Saul is wreaking havoc. What a phrase in the New King James. He's wreaking havoc on these Christians. But what does it say in verse 4? Oh, verse 4 begins to turn the tide because it says that as they are persecuted and as they are scattered, everywhere they go, they are preaching. Everywhere they go, they are preaching. It doesn't matter that they're fleeing for their lives. They're preaching. They're teaching. And so we think about the fact that we are to go and teach. We are following the example of the New Testament church. We're following the words of Jesus, right? We know Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus makes one of those kind of, we might call it humorous, but, but sort of, I wouldn't call it sarcastic. That maybe is not the right way to say it, but, but it's kind of funny to us because it's so obvious One of those statements that he makes, he says, nobody lights a candle and puts it under a basket. We've been talking about these storms. If your power goes out at one o'clock in the morning and it's dark, you don't say, hey guys, let's get all the flashlights and candles and we're going to put them under the baskets and then we're going to sit around and and try to move around the house. No, Jesus says, who lights a candle and puts it under a a basket? No one. They light a candle and they put it on a lampstand. And why is that? So, he says, so. It's obvious. The next... Part is, in the manner of this, you so let your light shine before men. That's the way that we're supposed to be. We're to follow the words of Jesus and that we let our light shine so that we, the people may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We're to go, and as we go, we're to strive to be faithful. We think about the words of Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. Paul would tell Timothy... And it's interesting, passing it down to us, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. All right, Paul, that's great. I got it. I'm supposed to commit these to faithful men. But that's not it. What is the cycle? Because we kind of see it here as well. Paul says, commit these to faithful men who may teach others also. Go and teach. You know, you may have heard a preacher say before, and I think I've even used it a few times, in Matthew chapter 28, The word go there, you know what that usually means? That usually means we bring someone up on the stage and we agree to pay them $200 a month and we tell them, you go, you go to Africa, you go to South America, you go somewhere and let's go into all the world. And I would submit for your thinking, that's true, we do that. And maybe at times we go, we go on mission trips, we go places, we go and teach, But you may have heard a preacher say before that the word there as well could possibly mean as you are going. Because we think about the fact that, yeah, it's great to bring someone up here and for us to pray and to send them on their way. But for all of us, we are going each and every day. In fact, we're going so much that often we complain about it. (laughs) We're too busy. We need to slow down. But if we're busy and we're going, then we can't say, hey, Jesus, you know, I never really had an opportunity to go. Because we're always going. And if we are supposed to go and to send people and to go into all the world, but we're also supposed to, as we are going, spread the good news, then there is an encouragement here for us that the second part of this cycle includes going and teaching. You know, knowing this particular task, this second part, it's not going to end, right? Until time is no more. It's not going to end until, until Jesus returns, Until the sheep are divided from the goats. And we think about those who would go on to that eternal reward and those who would go on on to eternal punishment. That's when this task will end. The Great Commission in and of itself is is cyclical. You know, we pass it down to others. The apostles were to teach new disciples to do what? To observe all things. To observe all things that Christ had commanded them. Christ had just commanded them to go and teach. This burden falls upon every disciple of Christ. So let me ask you the question again. Are you here? Because as we said a moment ago, we're all here. We're all going through life. We're all going. So the question then is, are we teaching? Because I think the problem is we sometimes get stuck between number one and number two. We're all going, but we're not always teaching. We're not always trying to make disciples. We're not always trying to, to baptize folks and teach them about the gospel. When we think about going and teaching, what is it that we are to teach? Well, as we just read from 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, we're to teach other faithful Christians, other individuals to teach. We're to teach the word of God. We think about 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Paul would tell Timothy there, I charge you, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. We're to teach the Word of God. We must teach the Word of God without alteration. We think about Galatians chapter 1 and verses 6 through 9. Paul issues a stern warning there, not only to those people, but think about the parallel to us today. Paul says that he marveled that they had turned so soon from the gospel that he had just taught them to a different gospel. Have you ever been in that situation before? Let me ask you about your life, just the normal situation. Have you ever taught your children something? And they turn around and do the exact opposite. He say, I just told you not to do that. Or I just taught you how to do that and you've already forgotten. Paul's marveling because he had just taught them the gospel. And how soon they had turned to something different. When we think about him marveling at that. He says, there are some who would trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. It's still happening in 2021. So we need to teach the word of God. We need to teach the Word of God and the Gospel of Christ without alteration. And so the question sometimes comes up, right, among Christians who, who don't ever go into the mission field. Just, just go with me for just a minute. The question sometimes comes up among many of us who don't spend time or our lives in the mission field. Because it's easy to do that, as we said, and feel like we've done enough. And what we do then is we even offer up another excuse. We say, well, I don't know what to do. How am I supposed to know what to teach someone? You know, preacher, you study all week, or you have a Bible degree. You should know what to do. What am I supposed to do? Here's the good news about our outline this morning. If you're asking the question, what is it that I'm supposed to teach? Just look above at your notes. I guess if you didn't take notes, you may be in a bit of trouble, but you can look at it later. And if you're looking at the screen, you're not sure what's above the screen. But if you've got notes, what is it that I'm supposed to teach? We've just written it down. Of God and His love. Of Jesus and His sacrifice. Of sin and its consequences. Of the church. Of the rewards. And so many other things. What is it you're supposed to go and teach? The things we've just shared. You see, you don't need a fancy suit. You don't need a fancy degree. You don't need to have it all memorized. What is it that you are to go and teach? It's the things we've just talked about. I think about Mark chapter 5 and verse 19. It's one of the great passages that we sometimes put down and we share with others when we think about encouraging Christians. Mark chapter 5, Jesus has healed the demon-possessed man, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it's one of those times the swine were involved as, as the demons go into the swine. But do you remember in Mark 5, 19, at the end of that, what does Jesus say? Go and tell what the Lord has done for you. Folks, it doesn't get any easier than that. What is it that we are to go and teach? You don't need a degree. You don't have to have it all memorized. You don't have to have PowerPoint. You don't have to have a chart. You simply have to go and tell what the Lord has done for you. It's that simple. You know, as I think about sermons from time to time, we try to cover a variety of topics. And, And as I said, we don't always think about evangelism. We think about others who do it. We don't always encourage ourselves in that way. But it's pretty easy to remind ourselves that we need to first come and learn And then we need to go and teach. There's a lot of other things involved in that, of course, but we can kind of break it down to that. Where are you this morning on this cycle? And I would even submit, as we said just a moment ago, there's a good chance that you are not in between where the red arrows are. Maybe you've come and you've learned, and you are going, but you're not teaching. Two part cycle to Christianity. Where do you stand? How can you improve? We are going. We can be teaching. We should be teaching. And we should be teaching the simplicity of the gospel, what the Lord has done for you. Do you pillow your head at night? Maybe we ask it this way. Do you pillow your head at night with peace and joy? Can you go through the day with comfort and hope, knowing that whatever comes, the Lord is on your side? That's all you've got to share. There are many people who are suffering, again, storms, mass shootings, people who are confused, people who don't know where to turn. They just need to know of God and His love, of His Son and His sacrifice, all the things that we've just listed here. But as we usually say at the end of our lesson, that begins, first of all, with you coming and learning yourself. And the possibility exists in a crowd such as this that you're here and you're not a Christian. We put the plan of salvation here on the screen at the end of each sermon sermon so that you can, can look at it again. And if you're here and every time it comes up, you're not sure, You can see it again and be encouraged through the song that we're about to sing. That all things are ready. We stay prepared here as best we can so that any moment, because you know what, when we talk about teaching people, you don't need a suit, you don't need a degree, you don't have to have it all memorized, and it doesn't happen just on Sunday. So we put this up here for your consideration, that whether it's here in this moment as we are gathered and as we are singing, or whether it's in the next few hours or days or weeks, that you would consider becoming a Christian. Come and learn of Jesus. But maybe you're here and in times past you've done that, but you've wandered away. Maybe you are going, but you're not teaching. We'll sing to encourage you as well. That you would be encouraged to renew your commitment. That you would be encouraged to continue to go, but to begin to teach. As we sing this song, maybe you're here and you're a Christian, but you, there's sin in your life. You say, well, I can't teach. And the problem is not that I don't know, but it's that I know I cannot teach someone to do what I'm not doing. We'll be singing to encourage you as well, that you would come back to him. We're thankful for the opportunity to confess our sins, to repent and pray. And we're thankful for a God who loves us, who sent his son, that we can be saved, but also that we can come back to him. We gather together as a body to encourage one another that wherever you are in life, we would be willing to pray with you and for you and encourage you through this psalm as we stand together and as we sing.